How is everybody? Yeah, it's uh, good to see everybody. Kind of a nice morning uh, this morning. So um, I'm going to start with uh, a joke. It's a cute joke, okay? So humor me. That didn't even sound like that got any <laughs> grace at all in this. An older couple went to dinner at a trendy restaurant that had no printed menus. Just the scannable QR code to see the menu on their phone. After much grumbling about the newfangled things, they ordered a light dinner, and afterward the waiter delivered the check. When the waiter came back for payment, the husband displayed his phone to the waiter, showing an image of a $100 bill, and he said, Here, keep the change. Well, it was cute anyway. So we are going through the book of Genesis. And uh, we have, for these last few weeks, been talking about the character of Joseph, the last character in the book of uh, Genesis, major character. And uh, we're going to kind of be wrapping up Joseph in the next few weeks. Um, but uh, I want to start with our question today that will kind of be related to what we're going to look at uh, in the book of Genesis today. So it's a deep question or can be a deep question. I hope a few of you would be willing to help us get started. How have you reaped what you have sown? Uh, just to be clear, that can be uh, positively, it can be negatively, it can be big, it can be little. Um, what's one way that you have reaped what you have sown? If you'd like to answer, uh, James and Flint will run the mics. You get their attention. You stand up, speak directly in the mic, give us a brief answer. And anybody willing to get us started? How have you reaped what you have sown? Thank you, Anne. Um, I'm Anne, and uh, when my son died, I knew that God was standing beside me, and he gave me strength that I had no idea I, had, I could do. Um, but I went around the state and talked about binge drinking and um, alcohol poisoning, and I did that for many years, and I also changed the law in the state of North Dakota and Minnesota um, so that nobody can uh, go into any alcoholic establishment until 8 a.m. of their birthday. But because of all of that, I now work for the church, um, working with Free to Recovery and Community Connect, and I could never have done that without going through what I had gone through. Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Anne. Very nice. All right, who else is willing to share? Well, my name is Galen, and I'd say, not, maybe not so much what I've sown, but uh, maybe kind of a little bit. Um, I'm seeing that uh, in my kids, I'm seeing all the, the sins and addictions that I didn't deal with are starting to show up, hmm. and it's kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, yeah. That's a good example, Galen. Um, thank you. One thing I've noticed is when I've not had a positive relationship with um, the father, 
that everything's been much harder. Once I established a good relationship after I got fired from a daycare, and Dale looked at me and said, take a job, when I asked his advice on one, and then when that got toxic, I understood it was getting toxic, and when I moved to my new position, it was, you're really impressive, we want you. Um, Mm. So it was good to have the relationship with a father that helped open doors. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. How have you reaped what you have sown? Anybody else? Let's do a couple more. Guys are so reserved today. Nobody else? Thank you. That would be great. Yeah, so my name's James. Um, So I've seen both sides of it. I've seen reaping poor decisions. uh, So, you know, sowing poor decisions in my life and reaping the results of just bad life management. But then I I see myself how I've um, sowed into this church and the people in it and all the things that it has brought me the past six years has really turned my life around. So I've seen both sides of it and it's been been very good. Yeah, thank you, James. All right, we'll wrap up with newly married two days ago. Thank you. Holger. Okay, um, hello, my name is Holger. And yes, in life, you know, I have worked really hard, you know, to get things, but, and everything was going pretty good, but I forgot about God. Okay, and... Even though that I worked really hard to get a profession, a job, a family, and, you know, things. But one thing was missing was God, because I forgot about him. And he showed me that without him, we don't have nothing. And he showed me that even though that everybody can lose everything, but if you have faith in him, you can rebuild your life once again. And that's, that's how I feel. That's how I see things. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for um, those answers. And um, here's the deal. I know that pretty much everybody here can, can you know, come up with something in their life where they realize uh, that they have reaped um, what they have sown because you're here at Lighthouse, for heaven's sake. And uh, it's just kind of how life works. And I want to talk about that today a little bit um, and hope that um, you uh, will be able to take something with you this week and apply it to your life. Uh, There are lessons we learn early in life that we tend to carry with us throughout our whole lives. Some of them we would do well to remember and to make into principles that guide our actions. But it can be hard to do so, I know. Um, But I want to talk about one of them today. And here it is. It'll be up on the screen. What goes around comes around. Some call it karma, but whatever you call it, it's true. You treat someone with kindness, they'll likely treat you with kindness back. You be a jerk to somebody, they'll probably be a jerk back. Often we get out what we put into things. You invest hard work, honest 
effort and it will likely come back to you. You take shortcuts. If you're dishonest, you'll likely in the end get what you deserve. And man, it applies to pretty much everything in our lives. I know that it applies to exercise. Sorry to tell you. It applies to your job, to my job. It applies to our relationships. And um, for those of us here, it applies to our recovery. Um, It's even biblical. You reap what you sow. says that in the Bible. Or here's another one. Don't judge because you'll be judged by the same standard you use to judge others. Or here's one. Um, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Turn and tell someone what goes around comes around. So we've been going through the book of Genesis, um, and as I mentioned, we've been focusing on Joseph lately. I just want to remind you a little bit of Joseph's story uh, before we read um, a chapter today. Um, Joseph, um, the son of Jacob, um, he was dad's favorite. And um, because he was dad's favorite, we, we've kind of learned that Joseph liked to flaunt that a little bit in front of his brothers. Some resentment started to develop. And then Joseph had these dreams um, that his brothers and his parents would one day bow down to him. And of course, Joseph told them, so now the resentments get really big. And the brothers' resentments had grown to such a size that they plotted to kill Joseph. But instead, they thought they would go easy on him, so they sold him into slavery in Egypt. So, That's where we find Joseph. And I'm going to skip over a bit that we talked about the last couple of weeks. But but Joseph, we learned at the end of last week, he now has become the Pharaoh's, or the king's, right-hand man. He's in charge of the economy. He's in charge of food distribution. And he is considered the guy to go to for things. We also learn that Egypt um, was going to have seven years of prosperity, um, during which Joseph was in charge of preparedness for what was to follow, and that was going to be seven years of famine. And this famine that occurred back in biblical times did not only occur in Egypt, but it also occurred in Israel, where Joseph's brothers and Joseph's family lived. And where now we see that they learn that what goes around comes around. Grab a Bible, and we're going to open it up to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And uh, I'm going to read this story. It's, uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so, you know, get comfortable, get a Bible. I hope you follow along. There should be Bibles around you if you haven't found one, and uh, don't, feel, don't be inhibited to go and find one if uh, there isn't one right by you. Um, and I'd like to read this story because it's really kind of an interesting story, and, and uh, then we're going to talk about it for a little bit together, okay? Here we go. Chapter 42, verse 1. 
When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing looking around at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrive in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, You are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We are your servants, all your brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I, will, I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I will know that you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of the brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and, that, and you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. Remember, what goes around comes around. We saw this anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Rubens asked, but you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. Of course they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them, and he began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain. He also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment to the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for the journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and they headed for home. When they stopped for the night and one of them opened a sack to get grain from the donkey, he found his money on the top of the sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank, trembling. They said to each other, what has God done to us? Ever blame God for your problems? When the brothers came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened to them. The man who was governor is the land 
of the land spoke very harshly to us, they told him. He accused us of being skies scouting the land. But he said, we are honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One brother is no longer with us, and the youngest is at home with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man who is governor of the land told us, this is how I found out if you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take your grain for your starving families and go on home. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me, that I will know you are honest men and not spies. Then I will give you back your brother, and you may trade freely in the land." As they emptied out their sacks, there each man's sack was a bag of money he had paid for the grain. The brothers and their fathers were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Jacob exclaimed, You are robbing one of, uh, me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him and promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead. He is all I have left. If anything I should happen should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. Who needs movies when you've got the Bible to read, right? <clears throat> um, I just want to point out something before we kind of get into what I want to share. Um, I want to point out how how completely dysfunctional everybody is in this story. Um, I mean, everybody's pretty much messed up. Jacob, um, you know, in verse 36, he's just like filled with self-pity and it's all about me. Everybody's against me. And in verse 37, um, Reuben says, well, if, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can kill my two sons. Don't you wonder what those two sons were thinking about that? And then in verse 38, Jacob says, Benjamin is all that I have left. I'm not sure what the other ten sons were thinking about that when he said that. And in case you've been thinking, I don't belong in church because I have issues and my family is a bit dysfunctional, your issues are nothing. Tell somebody we've all got issues. One of the things that I just want to say is that um, somewhere along the journey of, of our faith, I think it's kind of a religious thing as we talk about that, um, we've gotten the impression that to go to church, you're supposed to act like you've got everything put together. And uh, you're supposed to look like, you know, you're perfect. And, um, you know, we have this saying at Lighthouse Church, there's no perfect people allowed. Um, in fact, it says it on the shirts that uh, you can buy, and I think it's going to say it on the screen if Mary quits talking to David back there. And, uh, and um, when we say no perfect people allowed, you know, what we're re- literally saying is that you don't have to pretend that you're perfect when you come here. Um, and you don't need to pretend that you've got it together because we know that you don't. Um, turn and tell someone we already know. Uh, there's an old joke that uh, I dug out I thought I would share. After many years of not going to church, an elderly lady decides to go to her local service. Although very poor and with worn-out clothing, she dressed in her best and headed out, and as she approached the church, she saw all these people dressed up as much as 
she had ever seen before. Not a stain, not a rip, not a tear in any of their clothes. Preacher and the deacon stood outside and welcomed people as they entered. She began to walk up the stairs, and one of the men stopped her and explained that we have a dress code here at this church. He said that the clothes need to be pristine and sharp to show respect to the Lord, and they turned her away. Dejected and embarrassed, she left and she sat on a nearby bench crying, trying to compose herself, wondering why a church of Jesus wouldn't accept her. And as she sat down, Jesus sat right next to her. He put his arm around her and he said, Don't worry, they haven't let me in that church either. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've been pastoring a long time. Um, and I know that nobody has it all figured out or put together. Uh, I've, one of the things that happens, um, I've been in other churches, I've pastored churches where you kind of pretend a little bit more that you've got stuff kind of figured out. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the unique things about a, being a pastor is people tell you the stuff going on in their life sometimes that they don't tell other people. And, um, you know, you can have all the money in the world or you can be homeless and not have a dime to your name um, and you've got issues. Um, and uh, the problem in life is that issues just don't tend to discriminate. And so um, you don't have to pretend here that everything's Okay. Um, now, the good news is that we can also work on our issues. Um, there is hope. Um, God doesn't want to leave you and me in our stink. <laughs> um, he wants to help us and move us forward in life. So I want to talk about kind of some hard stuff today. I want to talk about how do we handle um, some of these hurts in our life, especially hurts that have been caused by people in our life. When someone hurts us, you know, how do we work through those issues um, with, with people um, that we are in relationship with? And when there's a history of that over a lifetime, you know, how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we work it through? And um, I just want to share a couple of lessons that I think we see in Joseph here, um, but also just some things that I've learned that I hope will be helpful that you can take with you. It doesn't answer all the questions. Sometimes we have hurt uh, in our life that, you know, there is no real people behind it as much as it's just there. Um, but I, I hope that what I share today can be helpful. So um, here we go. Number one, the first thing that I want to share with you is that I think we have to begin here. Remember what goes around comes around. And so I know you know that, but I also think sometimes it's important for us to be reminded of it. What goes around comes around. And by that, I want to say that one of the interesting things in this story is you can kind of see, if you read below the lines or in between the lines, that Joseph struggles with wanting to take revenge on his brothers. I mean, he kind of milks it. At three days, he throws them in prison. Doesn't reveal himself to them. And, you know, he makes them pay at least a little bit. 
In the end, in case you don't know the story, he is going to muster up the strength to forgive and let go, but that's for a couple of weeks from now. Here's something that um, I thought would be good to share with, with you today. When I wrote this sentence, I thought, oh man, that's pretty, pretty sharp. Here you go. Um, you can't feed your resentments and your relationship with Jesus at the same time. Um, and that's just a, that's just a reality. It's a spiritual reality. Um, you can't feed your resentments and feed your relationship with Jesus at the same time. And so what I want to kind of challenge us to do is to think carefully about how our, our words and our actions, um, especially in regards to others, you know, how they, how they hurt or how we can identify the hurt in us and respond in kind. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19 says this, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. All right, here's the second thing I wanted to share today. Um, Always err on the side of grace. Um, always err on the side of grace. Here's the mindset that I've tried to carry with me. Um, Thank God that God has tended to always err on the side of grace with me. And I think, man, if God can err on the side of grace with me for some of the thoughts and actions and things that I have done, my guess is I could muster up a little strength and courage to try to err on the side of grace with other people. Um, You know, I I think that what we learn in our faith is the more we grow in faith, the more we learn to treat people with love and with dignity and with respect. Jesus teaches us to forgive and to keep on forgiving. Um, How many times, the disciples ask, Seven times is that many, and uh, so I've had I've had uh, people correcting my my uh, biblical memories today. Um, Jesus says, "No, not seven times. Seven times, seventy times. Um, so four, like four hundred and ninety. Do I have to keep track that many times?" Um, the point is, is that we're supposed to pretty much be people of forgiveness. God is a God of forgiveness. We're supposed to be people of forgiveness. Our forgiveness should be unlimited like God's grace and forgiveness is. And so here is something that I have learned. Um, Usually refusing to forgive often has more to do with us and what's going on in our own heart and lives than what the other person and and the wrong itself. And so one of the things that I have learned, this is really kind of a, a recovery principle, is that, is that chances are if I'm having trouble letting go of something, if I'm having trouble um, you know, really forgiving someone, then I probably need to work through um, some of the issues that are going on in my own life. What we often learn is, you know, what's the saying that we use? Withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Uh, the reality is, is, that, is that 
withholding forgiveness really only hurts ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21 say this, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You know, one of the thing, one of the nice things that I think you know this says is, is that you know leave leave these things to God, leave these things to God, and let Him take care of them. And uh, and chances are He knows a little bit more than you and I do. What I want you to know is that maturing in Jesus Christ is going to mean that you're going to learn how to respond to situations and to hurts and to other people as opposed to react to them. Number three, remember, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Um, this is so so important. Remember, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Things don't often go back to where they were before. Even at the end of the story, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and they forgive each other, and there's some sort of reconciliation, my guess is those brothers still slept with one eye open. And maybe Joseph did too. And so here's something I want you to know. Sometimes forgiveness means letting go of the hurt and the resentment and simply moving on in life. You know, in Acts chapter 15, uh, the Apostle Paul and another missionary of the early church, Barnabas, they'd been traveling together doing missionary work. It says that they got into this disagreement and they decided to part ways. I mean, these are like leaders in the early church. Um, one of the things that I often deal with um, as a pastor is people who are, are discussing, you know, how do I move forward in trying to heal this relationship? How do I move forward in offering forgiveness, um, receiving forgiveness, and what will it mean reconciliation? And uh, usually when we have those conversations, we're talking about family. Um, husband and wife, or children, or parents and children. And um, the reality is, is that we live in a world where things are not always the way that they were meant to be. And a great example is divorce. Um, you know, I, I many conversations over the years with, with couples who are considering divorce and, you know, their, their, their differences seem irreconcilable. And one of the things that I, I tell them, maybe I've told some of you, is that the Bible is pretty clear that divorce was not God's plan when you got married. It wasn't your plan. Um, but um, it also says that divorce is um, sin um, and that it's not the unforgivable sin and that we live in a world where sometimes forgiveness is possible but reconciliation is not and we ask for God's forgiveness and we try to forgive not only each other but ourselves and we move on in life you with me it's just the reality 
We live in a world where there is sin and where things are not the way that God intended originally. And so, you know, just because we forgive doesn't mean that reconciliation is going to happen. Forgiveness also does not excuse the behavior or the wrong. Especially if you have experienced abuse in your life, whether as a child or as an adult, um, the abuse was not your fault. And, um, and, you know, you need to know that it, you know, to forgive that person does not mean that you excuse the behavior or the wrong, but simply you're trying to let go of it on your end so that you can make the weight a little bit lighter. Chances are you will carry it to some degree the rest of your life, but it doesn't need to weigh you down. Recovery um, has taught me that the most important thing for me to do is to take care of my side of the street to ask myself, what is my part in this? What is my responsibility? And how can I learn to respond to people in such a way where I can be a person of grace and forgiveness? On this side of eternity, reconciliation is not sure, but civility can be. Um, now, I do know that, you know, to even touch on some of these topics, there's a lot of hurt a lot of pain in the lives and the past of a lot of your of you. And, um, you know, we take that to the Lord. And just as I've encouraged you to always err on the side of grace, I want you to know God always errs on the side of grace. Number four, something I've learned, um, everybody has a story you know nothing about. Um, everybody has issues that you know nothing about. Um, let me give you an example. Have you ever had a bad day at work and take it out on your family or the person closest to you? I mean, we do it all of the time. Um, one of the things that I have learned is that when someone is not well, um, I shouldn't take it personally if they're, you know, kind of all over me for some, something that I didn't do. Um, I tell this to staff all the time. You know, if you get cursed out by somebody or, you know, somebody that you work with is really mad, don't take it personally. It has more to do with what's going on in their life than anything that you have done. Um, frankly, it is also hard to blame people for what they don't know. And I've learned it's easy to react it's harder to take time to teach people. Um, I want to be a church when, when people come here and they haven't gotten, you know, it, the whole how do you act here figured out. I want to be a place where we can teach people instead of react to them. Um, I was thinking about my own story in regards to this a little bit this week. And, and uh, you know, I've shared a couple of weeks ago a, a bit of my story in regards to the last church where I served where um, I was kind of asked to leave and um, not to come back. And, and I, I was, you know, I, I was thinking about how um, I had some resentments against church leaders early on, um, not because I thought their decision was wrong as much as maybe kind of how, how it was all handled and and one of the things that I've come to realize um, in my journey um, is, that, is that churches don't know how to handle people who are wounded. Um, churches tend to shoot their wounded, unfortunately. And, uh, 
especially church leaders, especially church leaders. And I have, I have learned that, um, that the people that kind of made the decisions, you know, in my last church where I served, I uh, didn't know maybe some better ways that they could have done some things that would have made some transitions for everybody a little bit smoother. They didn't know. So this last Thursday, I had an opportunity um, with some pastors and church leaders to talk about that a little bit. Um, because the reality is, is that if we're not willing to teach and to talk about these things, we'll never get better at them, right? And so, you know, that's really what I'm trying to say is that, is that everybody's got issues. Every church has issues. Every business you're going to work for has issues. Every or- family and organization has issues. The, you know, we need to learn how to work together and to be mature in our handling of one another and some of the things that we deal with. Okay, here's the last thing I want to share. Um, remember that God always has a bigger plan than what you see And it's always for good, even when it's hard to see that it's always for good. Romans 8, 28 says this, we know that in all things God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, One of the things that I I want you to know is, I I did this last week too, when we stand here on this line of, of life and growth and I say this is where we used to be and this is where we want to be. Last week I said that, that, you know, I try often to have us define where am I today? Where am I today? What is my reality today? But what I want you to know is that as you look at your reality today, that what God sees is God sees down the road at the same time. He sees where you're at today, but he also sees down the road and where he is bringing you and what he um, is doing in your life. You know, let me give you an example. So um, Joseph... Um, finds himself on his way to Egypt, sold by his brothers into slavery. When Joseph's brothers were selling Joseph into slavery, God already saw this day when his brothers would come to him and ask for food. I can guarantee you Joseph did not see that on that day. And so God sees where you and where his larger picture is going where you see kind of where you're at today. There was this picture that hung in my last church. It was taken, or it was created by um, a photographer who did one of those church pictorial directories. Those of you who've never been in church, you don't know about those. But everybody in the church had their picture taken. And um, he created this large picture of Jesus. Uh, it was very cool. This, he created this large picture of Jesus, but it was made up literally of a tiny picture of everybody from the church who he had taken a picture of. And it, was, and it hung in the hallway and it was kind of cool because you would walk down the hallway once in a while and you'd see people, you know, like right up against the picture trying to see their picture. And, you know, if you're old like me, you're, you'd have to line up your bifocals. It was quite a, you know, there were contortions and all sorts of things. And um, it was kind of cool and it's a great illustration because um, here's the deal. Most days I'm just like focused on myself and what I need, and what I want to do, and all the things I have to get done. And it's like, I just see this. I see this. I see what's right there. But God sees that larger picture that you and I 
are not even capable of picturing. God sees not just your life today, but he sees the lives of everybody. He sees not just where you're going, but he sees where everybody is going. And he's got it all in his hands. You saw your struggles that brought you here to Lighthouse, and God sees the person that he is molding you into. You see the pain and the messiness of what you are facing today. God sees the potential for growth and how he will use your experience to build your character and your hope. And then what he will do with that to help somebody else in the future that you have not even met yet. You saw what time you woke up this morning and decided whether or not to go to church. God saw this moment when I would tell you how much God loves you, that he loves you more than you will ever know, that he died on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven. In Jesus, when Jesus is in your heart, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And if you're not sure of Jesus in your heart, I just want you to know that he is available for you to receive today. It's a simple invitation. Come, Lord Jesus. And what I want you to know is that, is that this love of God for you is greater than anything that you're going through today. Any losses you've had, any grief that you bear, any pain that you are struggling with, or any hopelessness or despair that you are going through. God's love for you is unconditional. There's nothing that you can do today that's going to make God love you more than he did yesterday, and there's nothing that you can do today that's going to make God love you more tomorrow. Tomorrow. 